And then our scripture tonight comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20, and then verses 51 through 56. Um, So I think, should I read that now? Great. Um, Okay, so it is now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then, I think I said that word wrong. (laughs) Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then this is 51 through 55. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body will be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 15 is, I was like, man, that's got to be one of my top two chapters. I was like, well, no, top three. It's in the top five. It's in the top five. Um, I think it's in the top five chapters of the Bible for me personally. It, it, uh, this isn't part of my notes and where we're going, but that chapter ends with the Apostle Paul saying, um, therefore, brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable in your faith, knowing that your labor is not in vain. That's an interesting way to end that chapter. This, you can pray for us all because I'm giving another sermon before the sermon. Um, that's such an interesting way to end that chapter because what Paul thinks he just did is he shared with everybody why it is you don't have to worry about your labors being in vain. And it has to do with the resurrection body. It's one of the most incredible chapters in the Bible. It's the, it's the only chapter of the Bible whose whole entire scope of, of, in terms of a chapter is devoted to the resurrection and to your body, of res- resurrection bodies. Fascinating chapter. I encourage you to spend some time in it. Uh, we're a week early in terms of Holy Week. Easter hasn't happened yet in our rhythms of the year. Um, but in light of our sermon series, this is, this is an, important, um, it's an important place for us to talk about before we get to next week, which is our last uh, week together in terms of the normal school year. Uh, for, for the house. So um, one thing to say is if you, you know, Easter and just going home to see family in general is not wonderful for everybody. Um, <laughs> maybe it is for you and that's fantastic. I hope it is. Good night. I mean, as somebody raising kids and establishing a family, I hope that my kids will like to come home for holidays um, and enjoy that. Uh, so hopefully it's that, that, that exists in the world. Um, if you you know, either don't want to go home um, or don't have a place to go this Easter and want 
a, a safe place to go and a place that feels, uh, you know, celebratory and, and that kind of thing, um, please reach out to me. Let me know, and um, I'd love to invite you somewhere, okay? Um, my name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at the house, and um, if I don't know you yet, I'm thankful to be here with you tonight. Uh, I want to start tonight because the, the gravity of this sermon tonight is pretty heavy, and I, I don't know if you will feel just so excited or if you'll feel like, do this as therapy. I don't know what you're going to, maybe those come together. I don't know what you're going to feel like tonight, but I want to start um, with uh, just kind of curating some of our space together. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to take a deep, slow breath. And then I invite you to keep just breathing deeply and slowly for a minute or two. And if your feet are on the ground, I want you to rest them there firmly. Wherever you're, however you're seated, maybe you don't need to sink into your seat, but just feel yourself firmly there. Wherever your hands are, I want you to place them like on your knees or, or somewhere safely on your body, gently. You just feel yourself present right now in this moment. Take a deep breath. Everything you have ever experienced, you have experienced in this body. Every good thing, every hard thing, Everything you've ever known or felt or hoped you've experienced in this body. And perhaps one of the hardest things for us to believe is that we are good. That God, our great God, meant to make us and that our very bodies are good. And brothers and sisters, friends, I promise to be gentle and kind tonight as we talk about this. Just take one more slow, deep breath and then go ahead and open your eyes. Thank you for being here with me tonight uh, and for trusting me enough to participate in this evening and to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord over all things and among the infinite wonderful implications of that is the truth that you are good and that your body is good. Let's pray. Father, send your spirit right now to draw near to us, speaking things that I cannot, helping people feel safe under your care, guarding us against the attacks of Satan and, and even the voices from his kingdom that, that have been in our very bodies speaking against us. Help us to hear your good word. Give us hope tonight. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. For many of us, uh, this is, it's really hard for us to even begin to think about because our imaginations have been shaped by another message altogether. This idea that who you really are has nothing to do with your body. That who you really are is just some spirit being inside of some kind of like rental car body. 
And, and many of us carry this, uh, this sort of around as like a core belief that our bodies are bad and that the spirit is good. To keep this night reasonable, I had to cut all kinds of notes about how we've inherited this from Plato and Philo and Origen and the Reformation and postmodernism and blah, blah, blah. But I would love to talk to you about that sometime. If you're curious, it's not for nothing that we believe these things. It takes different shapes. I also had to delete whole sections of this sermon about why I love sci-fi movies and shows and how so many of them pur purport this idea that we can one day escape from our bodies. You know, and go, and then who we really are is somehow inside this shell or something. And we carry around this kind of as a, almost like a fundamental belief, many of us. But friends, this just isn't true. It's counter to the story of Scripture and it's counter to the hope of the world in Jesus Christ. When God made all things in the beginning, do you know what he said? You ought to. I don't mean that as like you fail the test. I mean, listen. The closing refrain to Genesis chapter one, when God surveyed all that he has made, he said it's very good. And sin does enter the world. God's physical creation does indeed become bent and warped and broken, fraught with sin and evil. Yes, the sting of sin stains every aspect of the cosmos, including our bodies but that doesn't change the fact that they're good. Everything God makes is good. Perhaps you think because of sin that Satan and evil have won so great a victory that God wants to scrap all that he has made and save us from some sinking ship. But that is not the story. God doesn't want to save you from his creation. He wants to redeem you and creation along with you. Everything God makes is good. I want you to say that. Everything God makes is good. And he wants to redeem it, not throw it away. The hope of the world isn't in escaping creation. It's in our inheriting the redeemed creation because of Jesus. The central proof of this is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostles of Jesus saw our hope. They saw our hope in the resurrected body of Jesus. They believed that what we see in him is destined for us. What happened to him will happen to us. Our scripture passage tonight says, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. First fruits. It's an agricultural term. My, my family uh, just went to pick tulips this past weekend and we brought home these tulip bulbs. They look giant, weird things. And we Googled in the car what to do. <laughs> We're supposed to do them, you know. And holy cow, like literally this was the advice. Take all these bulbs, put them in a paper bag, stick them in your fridge for six months. <laughs> then bury them in the ground and then wait six months and hope something comes out of the ground and they bloom for a bit and and when they die immediately cut them cut them down to the root again uproot them put them in a paper bag put them in your and i was like what the heck like this is wild right okay but i sometime in mid-march of 2023 do you know what my daughters are going to be doing almost every day they're going to be looking out the windows 
and walking through the garden to see if anything is growing out of the ground. And if there's any sign of life coming out of the ground, like the first time they see a little green, I, th I assume it's gonna be green, I don't know, thing coming out of the ground from one of these tulip bulbs, they're gonna lose their freaking minds. And they're, they're not gonna lose their minds because they think, oh my gosh, out of all of these one tulip we, we got, the, the first time something goes out of the ground, they're gonna see in that tulip hope for all the other tulip bulbs that we planted, you see? Of course, it's gonna be devastating if they don't all grow or many of them don't, okay? Um, but that's what they're gonna think. Oh my gosh, one's growing. I can't wait to see the other ones. That's a very natural feeling that they're gonna have or thought they're gonna have. That's what kind of first fruits is about. When, when farmers get the first tomatoes from a tomato harvest, they know that every other tomato of this harvest is gonna be like that one. So if it's a bad tomato, the whole rest of the crop is a waste, and if it's a prize-winning tomato, I don't even know if that's a thing. I assume it is. Then they're gonna rejoice because they know what's coming after it. This is what first fruits means. When the apostle Paul looks at the resurrected body of Jesus and he said that is the first fruits of what's coming after him, it means that what we see in him is going to happen to us when we too come out of the ground. Christians have been proclaiming for 2,000 years that the Son of God rose up out of the ground physically and that he ascended into heaven physically, which means, and, and some of you, because of teaching or lack of teaching and other messaging, you might feel a degree of disequilibrium as I tell you orthodox Christianity right now. And that's actually in some ways maybe a hallmark of the ministry of the house is we want this to be a safe place where you can be curious and you can experience a little bit of disequilibrium while you sort some things out. It's like something we want, we champion quite a bit here, okay? But I don't know how you're gonna feel when I say this, okay? At the core of the Christian faith, there's a human being in flesh and blood sitting on the throne over all things. Right now in the heavens, there's bone and human skin. There's a brain, not just a mind. Jesus Christ fully God, fully human, rose from the grave and ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It is overwhelmingly stunning, it's bigger than anything any of us have ever asked for, that a human being would sit on the throne. He is our representative and our high priest. These are not in my notes, but my friends, you gotta know this. This is core to the Christian faith. God became one of us. None of this is more than what we'd asked for anyway. All, that's every other sermon, okay? So you should listen to that, okay? Our hope is that what we, what we right now have by faith, well, we will one day hold by sight. That, that may sound familiar to you. I hope it does, right? Something like faith and sight, okay? But this isn't just a metaphor in Christian theology. If you've ever wanted to see God with your eyes, think about this. You ever thought, man, I wish I could just see him? I hear Christians talking about him or I read books about it or maybe in my prayer life or, or, or maybe you've thought, I wish I could just touch him with my hands like Thomas who said, I will not believe unless I see him with my eyes and touch him with my hands. That saint. Or maybe you've thought, I just wish I could hear his voice. You want those things because you were designed to have those things. You should not throw those out or stuff those down or listen to somebody else who says you, you, ha you have little faith or something. 
You do hold on right now by faith, but those are good desires that you have and they have an end in mind. Those are revealing some of the goodness of your design and some of your destiny. Many of us have been convinced that heaven is a bunch of clouds and that one day our bodies are going to rot in the ground and our spirits are going to ascend into heaven. What then does it mean to sit on clouds when I don't have a tush to sit on? What does it mean to sing songs when I don't have vocal cords? What does it mean to hear them if I don't have an eardrum? What do the scriptures mean when they say every knee will bow and every tongue will confess if there are no knees and there are no tongues? More on this next week. But for now, suffice it to say that the scriptures over and over again assume an embodied resurrection reality for each and every one of us. Now, immediately a flood of questions comes to my mind about the logistics of our bodies resurrected and made new. Quite frankly, there's a lot we don't know because we have precisely one data point to draw from, Jesus. I don't know of anybody else who's been resurrected in an immortal body. And there are all kinds of responses to this, but I want to briefly respond to three. The first is the skeptical response that God, and this is only going to apply to some of you in the room who, like me, have a ton of these questions. How how could God reconstitute my body even after it's been in the ground, decomposed, flung wide throughout the world in the dust of the earth? Suffice it to say, again, that he made the stars out of nothing, and you have already been made from the reconstitution of elements of the cosmos. From the time certain cells of your mommy and daddy collided, you've been made from reappropriated matter and energy. And what makes you think God sees any difficulty in reconstituting you and bringing you forth from the grave? If those are true. Second, and I've been addressing this a lot so far, okay, but we struggle to believe our bodies are good, quite frankly, because we've been taught or told that they're not. Many of us have been told they're throwaway. We believe that they were evil from the beginning, you know, brought into the world wicked or something, and, and that there is no place for them in the new creation. That one day we're going to just be gone from all this or something, right? This is neither true nor biblical. Beloved, God made you and everything he makes is good. You may be a sinner, but you are a beloved one. And that is your first and foundational truth, that you were made in love and by love, and you are in your very bones lovely. Third, and this is the tough one, this is where we're going to land tonight. It's hard for us to believe that our bodies are good because of the ways in which we've suffered in them. And friends, I am sorry for the ways you've suffered. In uh, my 20, almost 20 years of pastoral ministry, I've heard so many stories of suffering. And I've never heard somebody else's story and thought, that sounds easy. Ever. And I suspect that no one in this room could shoulder the sufferings of anyone else in this room for even a day. I'm very sorry for the ways in which you've suffered. There's a lot of outward suffering in this world, which is incredibly obvious. But there's also a tremendous amount of suffering we experience on the inside of our own minds and in our own habits and in our own temptations. We might not like to wear, we, we, we might not like the way our body looks or the way it performs or doesn't perform. 
I imagine every single one of us standing in front of a mirror with our clothes off would not like some of what we see. Some of the stuff that we may not like may be pretty superficial in a sense, right? I'm, I've been allergic to birds my whole life, literally. Okay, that's not a joke. I've never had a chicken nugget. Um, if one of you thinks it's funny and tries to feed me chicken from the chicken and waffles we're gonna have later, I might die before I get to the hospital, okay? So like it's, it's, it's super annoying. I, I don't like that about my body. But, and if I think, what is God gonna do in the resurrection? Is he gonna resurrect me with a bunch of freaking food allergies? I sure hope not. But that's not nearly as hard, that's kind of superficial, as my seasonal allergies have been my whole life. I would give that up way before the chicken thing. Like my eyes water all the time, my nose is stuffy all year round, it haunts me sometimes when I think about public speaking and I do that a lot for my job. Um, I think about all the ways in which my allergies have and will create real hurdles for people taking me seriously or listening to what I have to say because I keep wiping water out of my eyes or sniffing with my hay fever. These are like pretty superficial things. They're not even close to the deeper things I struggle with in my own body. They hardly approximate the kinds of suffering that I've experienced in my own body in this world, and I know that they hardly approximate the kind of suffering you've experienced. There are things I just want to do away with and be done with, though, you know what I mean? Multiple times in the letters from the Apostle Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians that we read from tonight. And he wrote most of the New Testament, in fact. Multiple times he references how weak his body is. People don't respect him when he's in their presence physically. They don't like the way he talks. He told the Corinthians, I'm writing you this letter because I know you won't respect me if I did this in person. I know other people have better rhetoric than I do. Freaking Apollos. Real as those are, maybe they seem surface to you, but also... This is cherry-picking a bit. You can read more about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But on five occasions, he was publicly whipped 39 times in the back. Three times, he was beaten with rods. Once, he knelt in a circle of his peers while they threw rocks at his head and his body until they thought he died, and he didn't. He lived. And he says at one point that the weaknesses and suffering that he experiences in the world makes him want to be away from his body and with the Lord. So hard it is for him. Hear that. The Apostle Paul says, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter five mostly, but he talks about it in a few different ways in Philippians, other places too, that, that, that his sufferings are so great that he wants to just be done with his body and be with the Lord. Friends, we experience so much hardship in our bodies. It's understandable if there are times that you would like to be away from it all. You have a friend and your brother, the Apostle Paul. His response to all this, though, isn't, in the end, escape. His response is that our bodies, his hope is that our bodies would be so transformed that he would understand even his own body to be something glorious. It's that where we are weak, we'd be made strong. So not that we'd be naked, that, that we would just get rid of whatever clothing we do have, but that we would be further clothed. Or in our text tonight, we read that our perishable bodies wouldn't just be tossed away because they're perishable, but they, that they would don or, or, or dress in a new imperishable clo clothing of sorts. That we'd be covered in an imperishable quality, he says. That our mortal bodies would put on immortality. 
There's all kinds of different ways the scriptures talk about this. This is what's in store for our bodies. My favorite metaphor about all this is that of an acorn, which is in 1 Corinthians 15, some of the stuff we didn't read. The, the seed, so to speak. Paul says that our bodies right now are like an acorn, which will, in the resurrection, become mighty oak trees. And all the DNA and all the things which are in the oak tree are present there in the acorn, right? But if you've never seen an oak tree, and I'm just showing you an acorn, it'd be so hard to imagine all of that could come from this, right? Like if you'd never seen an oak tree, if I said, oh my gosh, this thing right here, one day it's gonna provide shelter for hundreds, maybe thousands of animals. It's gonna provide shade for so many people. It's gonna, it's gonna be, I don't know, Cut down? <laughs> that sounds horrible, okay? But, but whatever. If, if I could say, like, it provide all these materials for all these things and keep people warm for years, or, oh, you'd be like, no way. It's going to produce way more acorns. This thing's going to be responsible for a forest. And if you've never seen a tree, you'd be like, How? what? It's so hard to imagine that all of that could come from this if you've never seen it. And it's one of the reasons we need to fix our eyes on the risen Christ, not just Jesus' crucifixion, but also his resurrection and his ascension because we need to know what's in store for us. Otherwise, it's just too hard to imagine. I experience this with my kids as they grow older, friends. Like when they, I can look at them now and then when I see like on our little, uh, we have like an Alexa digital photo frame thing in our kitchen that like goes through all these old photos. And whenever I see pictures of my kids 10 years ago, I'm like, I can see the connection. Like I can see all of him in him, little, right? But, but back then, I could not have imagined this, you see? It's easy to sort of look back, right? Like you, you, when you see the fruit, you're able to go, oh, wow. I may not know the logistics. I don't know how an acorn becomes a tree. Sorry, I, I, I can explain some of it, but not well. Um, and, and I just know that it can, and I believe it now because I've seen it, right? You see? It's one of the reasons we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's almost impossible for us, risen, because it's almost impossible for us to, to have our imagination populated because we're like, all I feel like is a freaking acorn. How could I ever become that? Your body now is like an acorn and one day it will be like an oak tree, Paul says. What does this mean? Well, it's hard to fathom, but Jesus' own resurrection points the way. He rose from the grave and so shall we. He was embodied, we shall be also. This means that one day you will get to behold Jesus with your eyes. Hear him laugh with your ears. Feel the ground bounce a little when he walks next to you with his perfect cadence. There are all kinds of ways the scriptures talk about this hope for our resurrected bodies. But tonight, in light of our sermon series this semester, I just want us to see it this way. In the resurrection, you will be more at home in your body. Whatever transformations take place, whatever scars are gone, whatever muscles are grown, I know two things about this transformation. First, there will be as much diversity as there are people. You will not become someone else. God is making you become you. You will be liberated. You, he says in Romans chapter eight, which is one of the other top five chapters of the Bible, he says, you will be revealed. And he says, all of creation is waiting for your revealing. 
And your resurrected body will be more you than it's ever been. And whatever else that means, it means you'll be more at home in your body than you are now. And if we're really honest, I think it's so hard for us to believe. I think because we want it so badly that the vulnerability of that kind of hope takes courage. Because, because if, if we slow down, we can maybe name all kinds of things we don't like about our experience of being weak and frail and, and prone to all kinds of things. So it's hard for me to hope. Friends, you were intended to feel at home in your bodies and where you don't is a reminder that we need Jesus to come again and to raise from us from the grave and to transform our bodies into some, something which will shine like stars. In order that we feel more at home than we ever have in the gift of the bodies God gave us. How we live this out, how we live out the reality that our bodies are intrinsically good and wherever they are weak and wounded and scarred and broken and bent will be redeemed how we live out that truth and that hope, I think is, it's hard, but it's in line with everything else God has called us to do. How do we bear witness to this? How do we live into the reality of hope in this? How do we live in faith? Well, we do this by honoring and dignifying the bodies of everyone on this good earth. Including our own. Wounded as, and frail as our bodies are, your bodies have brought you here. And if you have one, you'll be resurrected in an immortal one. And there's reason for thanksgiving in that. There's a promise in your bones and the spirit of God guarantees that he will finish what he has begun in you. And let us also use our bodies with all their wounds and all their weaknesses to love one another and care for one another. Just imagine, friends, imagine. Maybe it's helpful for you not to imagine you for just a second because it's easier to put it on everybody else. But I need you to bring it home to you in a minute. Okay? But imagine if we used our bodies, or imagine, if you will, that everybody else used their bodies for this purpose, if that's helpful for you. Okay? Imagine if everybody who followed Jesus, and, and then imagine everybody in the world, if everybody used their bodies not to grasp for what we want, but imagine if we used our bodies to love one another. That I said, how can I use this body to love, not to acquire how do I use this body to love, not for my own gain? How do I use this body to give, not to grasp? Imagine if we trusted that God will give us the desires of our hearts to finally become home in our bodies, to love them and to feel integrated and at peace with them, which seems almost unimaginable some days. Imagine if we could trust that he will do it so that we could be freed to spend our time loving others with whatever we have been given now in our bodies. Imagine that. In our sermon series on home, it must say that we have been created to be at home in a physical body, on a physical world. This is what we're destined for. Let's take a moment of silence. I'm gonna pray for us and we'll take a moment of silence to come to the table. And I want you to do one or two, one of two things. To take a minute to, to, to ask God in prayer 
Ask him to redeem things about your body that you don't like. Say, God, will you please be strong where I'm weak? Will you please take care of this thing in the resurrection? Ask him for what you want. He loves you. He likes you. Ask him. And if you're so moved and if God's spirit has, has so equipped you to do this, give thanks for the body he's already given you. He doesn't need anything else from you. I'll take care of the rest. Let's take a minute to do that and we'll come to the table.